Have you ever wondered what exactly is in Athletic Greens and other superfood powders? Are they really as healthy as they claim to be? Are they simply a supplement or can they replace a meal? Two common potentially harmful ingredients in most of these powders we should be concerned with are, I'll give you a hint, they both start with S. Today, I have on a licensed dietitian nutritionist to discuss this topic. Welcome to Truly Fit. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, I speak with Rebecca Washuda, who is my sister and also a licensed dietitian nutritionist, to discuss athletic greens and other superfood powders. What exactly is in them? Should we be concerned with any of the ingredients? We go down a whole list of really insightful, great information about these powders. In addition to that, Rebecca and I touch on other nutrition topics, some other fitness topics. It was a really well-rounded and fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. My mic was a little bit low on this, so for any new listeners, just know that my mic is typically better than this. This was a one-off, but it does not hinder the conversation at all. With no further ado, here's Rebecca Washuda and I. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me in Truly Fit Podcast for the uh, third time, I believe. Why don't you give the listeners a, a brief background and bio of who you are and what you do in the health and fitness and nutrition community? Yeah, thanks for having me back. So I am a licensed dietitian nutritionist. I'm also a health coach. Um, I have my own private practice, and I primarily work with busy people to create new habits and help them reach their health goals. Well, thanks for coming on uh, a little bit more spontaneously. Usually these things are planned out more but I've had some trouble recently getting on a uh, good guest, or at least me doing my due diligence on the podcast. I had on, uh, uh -uh. I shouldn't say I had on because I didn't produce it, but I, I recorded maybe three episodes recently that I just, I can't put out. And like you're in the middle of these podcasts and I'm like, mm, I can't put this podcast out. Like they're, they're either, they get somehow like hyper political and I'm not, I'm not ready to go down any of those paths you know, or they are completely anecdotal and I wasn't expecting it to be that way. It's like, I don't want someone coming on being like, oh, hey, I am on the carnivore diet or the keto diet or a vegetarian diet and it changed my whole life. And let me tell you how, you know, it's like- Yeah, I, I mean, that's like, useless. <laughs> like like that, that's useless. Like there, there's no information that that's gonna, like that's a motivation thing. And like, I just don't do that on this podcast. You know, like sure. maybe once or twice I've done it. And when I do it, it's really nuanced. So I had someone who was, who has cystic fibrosis who became a marathon runner. Like, wow. Like that's that's a, an that, anecdote, right, you want to hear. That's yeah, an anecdote sure. I want to hear. Not that not that you, you know, that you eat mayo and bacon and it changed your life. Like like I like I just I can't deal with it and yeah. they sometimes they sneak on almost, right? They they, they pretend so did they promote themselves as experts initially or no, like did you just not vet them? No, because they'll have credentials that that would lead you to believe that they're gonna be talking about other things, right? So it's like, oh I'm like like Harvard trained and graduated and like all this different stuff. And, but like, you know, then they become like, then they're like a social scientist and they just, they just, they have like other, they're, com they're coming on to talk about other things almost. And it's like, yeah. mm, I can't, I can't really go down those paths, but you also don't want to like just cancel the podcast. So like, I just like try to end them as quick as I can. And then I just don't put them out. That's um, hard. So and then do they, have they reached back out to you to be like, Hey Steve, where's our episode? You know what? It's, it's never happened. So, okay. um, uh, in, in all of my podcasting, no, it's probably only happened maybe four or five times where I record it, but I can't put this out. And then I've happened recently, I had on one of my favorite guests, uh, Dr. Chris Swart, and it was an amazing podcast. It, like just a, like the most scientific podcast I've ever had. He's so good. We talked about um, cannabinoids and like the cannabinoid system and all this stuff. Right. 
Yeah. And of course, like the podcast, like didn't record properly. No. Like something, something happened. I, you know, I switched sometimes between Zoom and Riverside, and like I don't know what happened. My his his video recorded, my video recorded, my audio recorded, but his audio didn't record. So he's just speaking and whatever. But like I could hear him while I was recording, so I don't know what went wrong. And like, yeah, you know, uh, so there, there's always things that go wrong in the podcasting world. Is is the is the long story short here and it's good to be able to have someone like you who has you know an sure. expertise in an area who can hop on and give my audience some some good information so i appreciate it yeah ha happy to do that i'll, I'll steer we away from <laughs> anecdotal uh nonsense we'll stick to the facts uh, the uh the superfoods have been trending superfood powder specifically i have one near me right now i'll lift it up uh this is the one i take it is called grown american ultra superfood uh, organic and you know athletic greens is the big one i mean they like they sponsor like every big podcast like jo the joe yeah. rogan podcast everyone they're 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 all around i've never really done my research into it which is maybe silly that i take it i haven't done my research uh but i do i don't take it every day i probably take it every other day or so it doesn't cost me much it's about 75 cents per serving or something it's not doesn't sure. change my life one way or another but what do you think about them? We, we, we'll get into the specifics soon, but just from a general perspective, the fact that they're trending, do you, do you think they're good? Do you think they're bad? How do, how do you describe them if a client asks you about them? Yeah, I think they're a good option. Um, people's diets generally are not well-rounded, right? People aren't getting enough greens in. So I think it is a good supplement, but it is not meant to replace a meal, right? You can't take that in the morning and say, well, now I don't need breakfast. Um, you know, just calorically speaking and from the mac macronutrients, it's, it's not going to replace a meal. It shouldn't replace a salad, right? It should be supplementing your diet. Um, so I do think I think it's great. I take one, but there are so many little details and so many things you need to look for. So super excited to be on and, and walk through. And you sent me um, the nutrition label on yours. So I'm happy to, you know, sort of walk you through just my initial thoughts and, you know, what people should look for um, when they're when they're buying these types. And then I would like to get into Athletic Greens because I don't recommend that. Um, and I want to share why. Okay, we'll go into mine first and then athletic greens. But right before that, I have to ask another sort of general question. I am so, I'm a big believer and there's just no shortcuts. And this feels like a shortcut. It feels like I can just take a scoop of this and then get in like more than my daily of like vegetables and fruit servings. I could also get in superfoods. It just it seems too easy. I mean, it, it, it is is it doing everything that that it's supposed to be doing? Do I can I literally like just not eat another vegetable or fruit for the rest of the day and just have a scoop of this? Never again. You know, I mean, think about it like what they would give like astronauts, right? So it is, it's it's freeze dried. And so when you, when you process vegetables like that and process fruits and sprouts and grains, um, you're losing a lot of the phytonutrients, right? So it's not the same as if you were to eat alfalfa sprouts or eat broccoli sprouts, you know, raw um, from your garden um, because the processing, you know, denatures some proteins and, and really, you know, um, removes some of the, um, the phytonutrients, which are what have the majority of the of the health benefits in in these types of foods. So, again, you're right. There are no shortcuts. Um, but I think in general, it, it's a nice thing to add to your diet. It's not a replacement. You can't never eat vegetables again. But given that we have such busy, crazy lives and we're always on the go, I'm sure there's been a day or two where you thought my gosh, how many vegetables have I had today, right? Like lunch goes, breakfast, you, you have a, you know, you have a quick breakfast, you have a protein bar for lunch, you know, dinner rolls around, you're worried about the kids, all the things. So it's like, 
it's a nice supplement to have for busy people, you still need to get those whole foods. Whole foods always come first. Yeah, and the first thing you mentioned, uh, or you, you briefly mentioned breakfast, I think it's impossible, at least for me, to get in vegetables and breakfast. Like that's the hardest meal because I just yeah. I don't I don't associate vegetables no. and breakfast, and I don't like the standard vegetables that one would put. Let's like say in an omelet. Like those are not right. what I eat. So, except maybe like spinach or something. So I think maybe having it with breakfast would be like okay. So in addition to me already having vegetables for lunch and dinner, like now I have like my breakfast vegetables, so to speak. For sure, and what I like to tell people is when you're creating a new habit, it's good to tie it to one that you currently have, right? Because that'll help remind you and, and pull it forward. So if you are gonna take a green powder, uh, most people do have coffee or tea in the morning, I say like take it right before or after that. So you know, you know, it's like, that's a habit you already have. It's something you can remember to do because if you wanna get in the habit of, you know, having a green superfood every day, sometimes you just forget, right? So it's hard to develop that habit when you have a busy, crazy life. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a great idea to have it for breakfast because most people don't have vegetables for breakfast. I think the only opportunity to really get veggies in is if you're making a smoothie or, right, if you're having an omelet and you can throw in some spinach or broccoli, but you can't have an omelet every day. And I don't, I personally don't like smoothies. I know that that's the go-to for everybody, but I want to chew my food. So smoothies just don't feel like as satisfying for me. Well, I agree with the second part that smoothies are not satisfying, but I do have an omelet every day of some sort. Usually it's egg whites and it's not whole it's not whole eggs. Maybe not every day, but almost every other day, just because it's it's really hard to be creative with breakfast. Like yeah. I, I don't know how many ways to be creative with breakfast. I don't like smoothies in the morning. Uh, I don't like yogurt in the morning. I don't like sugar in the morning, if that makes sense. Maybe because I put a, a tad bit of like creamer in my coffee. And like that gives gives me enough taste and my coffee usually has like i don't know maybe it like reminds me of that but in the morning i don't want sugars so uh i don't know yeah. I, I i digress that's that's another whole conversation but let's let's go to the ingredients here we could start with mine i could read them off i know you already know them are there ingredients in mine that i showed you again it's a superfood organic grown america uh that you either thought were great that were in there or that were bad that were in there yeah so for yours um uh, you know, and I, I want to mention this now and then maybe we can circle back to it because it's a it's a longer discussion. Um, I do not like spirulina. I think the number one ingredient in yours is spirulina. Um, spirulina, is, there's all of these studies that are coming out that spirulina, which is an algae, can be contaminated with this neurotoxin called BMAA, and that's being associated with a lot of neurodegenerative diseases. So neurodegenerative diseases are on the rise, not just Alzheimer's, right? Like um, Bruce Willis, no, was it Bruce Willis? Right, yeah. I don't know if you, you read the news yeah. now as um, frontal lobe dementia. So there's, there's all of these sort of like new um, uh, neurodegenerative diseases, inclu including ALS and Parkinson's. And anyway, it's on the rise. And a lot of experts are associating it with BM BMAA, which um, is found in a lot of spirulina. So I don't like spirulina. Um, so number one ingredient in yours, X. Well, um, the other thing I didn't like, I think it's probably the third or fourth ingredient in what you sent me is silicone dioxide. So um, that's just a, an anti-caking agent, right? It's so the powder doesn't stick together. But what jumped out at me is that that's the fifth ingredient, right? So ingredients are listed in the order, um, you know, the order of, of, their, of the their, their potency. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. the fact that that's the fifth ingredient kind of sucks because that has, you know, zero health benefits for you. Um, you know, if anything, if you inhale it, it can actually be um, irritating to your lungs and, and cause some... Um, asthmatic issues, but I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that. Um, 
what I did like, it's organic. Everything in there is organic. Um, I think that's definitely something you need to look for. Um, oh, the other thing I didn't like about yours, it has natural flavors. And so these are sort of hard to get away from, but I think what most people, most people think, oh, it's natural, it's, it's not artificial, so it's okay. Natural flavors is basically this umbrella term for like thousands of different things. So some things aren't so bad, some things are really bad, but they can all be called natural flavors, right? The, the FDA doesn't put a, a ton of guidance out about it. Um, and so even though it's derived from something natural, like I think yours has natural apple flavor, right? So maybe yep. it was derived from an apple, but you have to ask how are they deriving it, right? What kind of solvents are they using? And then are those solvents, you know, being filtered out in an effective way or are those solvents like, you know, hexane or whatever entering into the food supply, which is what we found. So um, I try to avoid natural flavors if if I can. Um, it, is, it is hard, especially in the green powders. The green powder that I take has organic flavors and so organic flavors are different than natural flavors again this is all like nutrition marketing so it's it, but it's good for the general population to know organic flavors have to be um 90 95% organic and there is um you know more stringent regulations around them as opposed to just natural flavors so if you can avoid natural flavors or altogether or if you can find a green powder that has organic flavors that's that's your best bet yeah, I think we had the natural flavor talk uh, when we were talking about the LaCroix because, you know, there, there's there's nothing to me more funky tasting. Like some of the flavors taste like hairspray and you're like, I'm like, how is this like considered like natural? Like, But yeah. then you told me, well, yeah, I mean, natural flavors is an umbrella term and maybe 80% of those umbrella terms are okay and 20% are not, but you don't know if those 20% of just like really weird stuff is in there. It could be the reverse too. It could be 80% are bad, 20% are good. I, I have no idea, but um, yeah. So mine did have the spirulina in it, which was the fifth ingredient. It's got silicon dioxide, which is the seventh ingredient, seventh of like 30, mind you, right? So like it is towards the top half. And yeah. then um, the apple flavor is one of the last. And then I think the last is sunflower lecithin, which I think that's also another agent that just like cakes things together. I'm not sure. It is, yeah. I'm, I'm less concerned about that, um, especially because it's last in the ingredient list. Um, it's just like another type of gum or emulsifier. It's really just for the texture of the powder um, and the texture of the overall end product. But um, yeah, and I noticed yours didn't have, so let's talk about things that yours didn't have. Mm -hmm. Yours didn't have any probiotics in it. I didn't see any enzymes. Um, I don't think I saw any like adaptogens, like adaptogenic mushrooms in it. Um, and those are all um, foods that you wouldn't typically get, right? So that is a good use of the powder because it's yeah. not like you're going to the store and, um, you know, getting a lot of that. So um, those are things that I look for. Those are little bonuses that I look for in a green powder. Yeah, I, uh, I do take some of those on my own, but it would be better if they were in the powder, like uh, I forget, like lion's mane mushroom right. and like some other things, some other mushroom related things. Ashwagandha, are... yeah, there's different types of adaptogens. So um, I mean, if you want to jump into Athletic Greens, Athletic Greens looks good on the surface, right? And I know you, what you said, like it's being advertised everywhere. Every, every, you know, you, you can't get away from it. I don't like it. One, I think it's very expensive. It's it like is. $70, $80 a, a jar or something. The no. other thing is it has spirulina. Um, so I try to stay away from that. And, um, you know, I think they're not super transparent um, about like sourcing. 
you know, I, I tried to look into exactly where they're where they're getting things from, and and even if a a company says like, okay, we test our spirulina, at any point they could switch producers, you know, or sw- switch who they're getting sourcing who they're sourcing their products from, and they don't have to tell you. So um, in general, I I do just try to stay away from products with spirulina, and you know, anyone who has a history of neurodegenerative diseases in the family, you know, I recommend you, you stay away from that too. Yeah, mine on the back of the bag says something to the extent of like uh, they grow all the fruits from or they get them from American organic farmers. Uh, I don't know if that's true. And because it's a supplement, I don't know if that needs to be true, like you said, right? They could certainly say that. And then at some point they switch and they decide not to change the labeling on the bag. Do they really get in trouble for that? Probably not, right? Because no one even oversees them. It's not FDA regulated. So you do really have to do your own due diligence. But it stinks because you, you'd like to trust the companies and that they're not they're not pulling a fast one on you. Yeah, and I think no, the term organic is um, it has to be certified, right? So you can't just call your your products organic and not you know, not have gone through the certification. So I think yeah, your your product wasn't terrible, right? Like it's organic. I believe that it's coming from American organic farms, but I didn't like it that it had spirulina. I didn't like that the fifth ingredient was silicon dioxide because most of the ones I looked at didn't even have that. And I guess the benefit is, you know, sometimes when I stir mine up, there's like tiny little clumps, but I just use one of those like mixers, and then it you know it goes away. Um, but the silicon dioxide being the fifth ingredient seems like kind of strange, you know? Do you think, maybe you don't know the answer, uh, but that they're putting the spirulina in because it's cheaper than some of the other ingredients and it's helping like give, I guess you would call like more volume to it? Because I know that's that's what some companies do in general for any product that they're doing, right? So they, they want to make things cheaper. They're like, okay, if, if I have 30 different ingredients, which the ones that are the most expensive, the hardest to get, I can't put that as the majority ingredient, even if it's healthier, because it's going to cost my company too much money. Or do you just think that they don't really understand the research behind spirulina and they're, they're assuming that this is only beneficial for us? Uh, most people think of spirulina as a health food, right? It was touted as a as a superfood for a very long time, and it does, like other types of seaweed, it does have a lot of nutrients in it, right? It's a nutrient-dense food, but because of this contamination with the BMAA, um, the nutrition in medical world is very split. So if you Google it right now, you'll see a lot of articles that link BMAA and spirulina and to neurodegenerative diseases. And then you'll see people arguing against it and saying like, no, it's just associative, it's not causative, but like, I'm I'm not ready, <laughs> ready or willing to take that risk. So um, yeah, I think the industry is very split on it. Um, and spirulina has been in our products for a long time. So people just, uh, you know, aren't willing to make the change. Maybe the company's not willing to change the formula given the new research, right? Yeah, and I think it's really hard to show causal uh, in a short period of time, right? If this is something right. is new. So like associative is, is enough for me to at least like take a break from it and be like, okay, well, yeah. I'll, I'll, wait, I'll, I'll wait till the, the final verdict is in. Like there's, there's obviously a reason why people are digging into this, right? It's not, they're, they're not just bored. They can they can be doing a, a heck of a lot of research if they if they are considering associative and continue to do a deep dive into this, like there's I don't know there's a, still a fifty percent chance this can come out to be bad. So why not just hedge your bets, so to speak? For sure, yeah. And I don't feel like there's an anti-spirulina lobby like yeah. saying like let's go after spirit, right? So yeah. it's um, and I I do tell my clients that like I err on the side of being conservative, right? Just in general in my life with what I eat, um, so. You know, listen. There, the evidence is new, but like you know, I want to inform them so they can make their own informed decisions. 
Yeah, and if someone came to you and was like, hey, listen, I've been taking spirulina only, like exclusively for like five years, and I feel like it's changed my life, and it's so good, and it's doing so many great things for me. It's like, okay, well, if you think spirulina is doing all of this for you, so great, then maybe like you're somebody who doesn't need to stop taking it because the benefits for you outweigh the negative. But like, sure, I, I don't even know the difference of spirulina in 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 this. Right, or not, it's not right? changing like, your life. It's yeah, not exactly. My life. So, oh. right, yeah. So do so. Uh, I think you might have mentioned this, but do you personally take them? And then have you recommended some of these for clients before, or at least allowed them to take it without any pushback? Yeah, absolutely. So I do personally take it. The one that I take is called. Sorry, I have it here. It's called Garden of Life Perfect Food Green Superfood No Stevia. Um, so you can find it on Amazon, and it's really reasonably priced. It's like thirty bucks. Um, this is not an ad. This is just the the one that I found that I really like. Um, doesn't have any of the gums or emulsifiers that, that yours has. Doesn't have any anti-caking agents. Um, only uses organic flavors. Um, doesn't have spirulina. So like it checked all my boxes and um, has some enzymes and probiotics. Um, what it does not have, uh, which I wish it had, is some more adaptogens. But um, I usually take them in a supplement form, right? You can take lion's mane or ashwagandha um, in supplements, depending upon like what you need them for. So um, yeah, that that's the one that that I recommend. And I again, I recommend it to clients for a few reasons. One is. Uh, it helps to hydrate, right? It's nice to have, like, I always ask my clients to have a, a glass of water um, before and after coffee in the morning. A lot of people don't like to do that, but if, okay, if your glass of water also has a scoop of green powder, it's still water, right? You're, you're still helping to hydrate, so that's beneficial. Um, and yeah, I think it's, you know, um, when it comes to like traditional supplements, right? Like your your general multivitamin, I don't think this takes the place of a multivitamin um, because, what it's offering is a wide variety of phytonutrients um, in, in the powder, but it's it's not necessarily filling your RDA of all the vitamins you need. So um, I think you, you should be doing both. Um, find a powder that checks the boxes, uh, the one, you know, the one that I use, Garden of Life, and you should be working with um, a healthcare provider to determine like a supplement regimen that, that you know, meets your, your personal needs. What if that same exact brand had all of those ingredients, but at the very end, it had stevia extract? Would you use it? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And so they do different They do different types. Um, and this one has like different flavors. I just prefer the one that doesn't have flavor. Like I want my green juice to taste grassy. I squeeze some lemon in it. I don't like something that um, tastes too, too fake, right? You were talking about like, tastes like hairspray. It tastes weird. So um, the stevia is is fine it's one of the better sweeteners um in general i think i try to get clients instead of necessarily switching over to um, a zero calorie sweetener we really want to change our palates right and we want to just get our palates used to less sweet foods um, because stevia is even more potent than sugar as far as like our taste buds go and so that can lead you to crave more sugar down down the line, right? So like ideally what we wanna do is slowly remove the sweeteners from um, from our diet and our drinks. So um, stevia I'm okay with, um, but yeah, the one that I use doesn't have, doesn't have stevia in it. Yeah, it's amazing how fast your taste buds change. I don't know the science behind it, but like I could, uh, you know, I use creamer in my coffee, like I said, my creamer is, you know, I don't know, some sort of organic creamer. It has like one sugar in it maybe and like one gram of fat or something, right? There's like there's like 19 calories or something in, in it. Sure. And I, bar I barely use any of it. 
But if I don't have it and I run out of it, I just like go two or three days with regular black coffee without having any of it. I'm okay by like the third day. Like my, my taste buds no longer need that. And, I, and really it's, to me, it's not, you know, obviously your taste buds are connected to your brain, right? It's sending like a, a signal, like a neuron sort of just like, but, but me, it's really just like the second I, I taste it, I'm like, you know what, this is actually better than the day before and better than the day before. Like every day it gets better. So it really is, we forget about that. I know it sounds like such a simple concept, but we forget like this, like, of course the first day it's going to be bad. Like it's yeah. always bad, but just give it like three or four days and then you're going to get used to taking this sweetener out. hundred percent. Yeah. I have a three day rule. Um, if clients are like really, really craving food or even, you know, I think post post COVID and during COVID, a lot of people were relying on alcohol more than they normally do, right? Because it was a very stressful time. We're all trapped at home. And so um, I've worked with clients that don't necessarily have an addiction, but have sort of developed like more of a habit. And so like if you can stop for three days, you don't really miss it. You don't crave it. You don't want it. And I think that's true. Um, you know, not listen, not for people who have alcohol addiction, but for people who have just made it more of a habit. Um, I think that's true for alcohol. I think that's true for sugar. I think it's true for um, like, a you know, really carb, carb dense foods. Um, three days is all you need. And then like your palate changes, your taste buds turn over and, um, you know, you're able to make a more mindful decision about what you really want to eat. Yeah, I noticed that with wine i'm not someone who drinks a lot of wine but let's say i have like a glass of red wine one night the next night i won't necessarily want a glass of red wine but i'll want something sugary in that that same time frame right so let's say yeah. it was 6 30 it's like okay my brain said 6 30 like you had you know two nights ago you had some sort of like you know low calorie ice cream bar and then you had like a glass of wine at 6 30 the night before so i was like well, this is just what we do at 6 30 we have something that has a little bit of sugar or faux sugar in it so let's let's get this going but like you said a day or two or three off that 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 quickly you know dissipates and, and you don't have that anymore yeah you notice that as well right after three days you're like okay i don't i don't need it so what's going on in the nutrition community i know we're all stuck in these these bubbles right so like i see the same things over and over and over on instagram and although we're like in i guess you would call them like cousin communities you definitely don't see the same stuff that i see like trending like my tiktok sure. and my instagram feed like just looks different than yours because they niche down a lot right so i really don't see any nutrition stuff i see all like weightlifting and personal training stuff and coach stuff and things of that nature what's going on in the fitness world that's either you know trending on the socials or something you've been talking about with clients recently yeah, you know, it's funny. I talked about this with a client and then I talked about it with a colleague um, earlier today. It feels like there is uh, a lot of polar, you know, there's a lot of polarization in our fields in general, right? People are for something or they're against something. Um, there's still a lot of polarization around soy. Um, and I'd love to hear your like general take on it um, before I, you know, get into the, the scientific aspect of it. Sure. You know, if someone so, says soy, what do you think? So, uh the granite this is all me reporting things from people that i trust but i have never personally physically opened up any study and read anything about soy does that make sense like i don't sure. i don't spend time yeah, yeah. researching soy but from from people i've trust who've said there are negative estrogenic i guess you would call them uh issues that go on with men who are eating a certain level of soy and even with a let's call them the soy there's a lot of soy proteins because it's cheaper to make it. So if you look at the back of a, uh, like let's say certain cliff bars, they'll have like soy uh, protein isolate. 
And right. apparently when they've done the studies in soy protein isolate, it does it, it somehow raises or aids in raising uh, estrogen to some sort of small minute level, but overall, I guess, in men's health, that could be deleterious long-term. This is what I've been told, I don't really know. I do know that soy is extremely cheap and I don't trust cheap things all the time. Why is it so cheap? What is it doing in my body? So I barely eat soy and I don't know if I'm doing the right thing or not. Yeah, okay. Well, um, there's different types of soy in the same way that there's different types of meat, right? Um, and so like I, there's a saying out there that it's not the cow, it's the how, right? It's like, it's very different if you're having a grass-fed Kobe beef cheeseburger or if you're going to McDonald's, right? Like the quality of the meat is really like what makes the difference. And so the same things with soy. So soy protein isolate, you want to stay away from. That's the, you're right, that's the cheapest stuff. That's the filler. Um, and in general, soy is one of the crops in the U.S. that is most um, sprayed with pesticides. So if you're going to have soy, you want to make sure it's organic because if it's not, you can guarantee it's like laden with, you know, glyphosate. Um, so you want to make sure it's organic. However, um, as far as raising estrogen, it's actually the opposite. And there's so much misinformation out there about this. You know, I have clients who are like more afraid of soy than they are of cigarettes or alcohol. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, um, so if you are uh, if you have a, a hormone related cancer, so like women with breast cancer, sometimes they take these medications called aromatase inhibitors. And what that's going to do is um, that is not going to allow your body to produce any estrogen, right? So um, so people, so if you are in that camp and you are on that type of medication, you really want to stay away from, from soy because you don't want any additional estrogen. However, for everyone else, um, the phytoestrogens in soy actually block traditional estrogen. So it's actually going to be protective. It's going to have that protective effect um, because it fits in the estrogen receptors. And so it's going to block estrogen, like real estrogen from binding um, to these receptors, which is important because, you know, then it's actually lowering um, your chances of, of any issues associated with estrogen down the line. So, um, you know, that's like the, that's the science behind the phytoestrogens. But also if you look at the, um, you know, the the landmark studies they've done in China and Japan, these people have been eating, you know, soy three times a day for thousands of years, and they have uh, way less rates of, of certain cancers, you know, com compared to the U.S. And obviously, there, there are different lifestyle um, uh, factors from the U.S. To, to Asia. But if you even, you know, looking at the studies and accounting for all of that, um, it really does have protective effect, even for men um, against prostate cancer and other cancers. So I think um, it's a great way to get some extra protein in. You just have to make sure it's high quality soy. So it has to be organic tofu, organic soybeans, organic edamame, um, the soy protein isolate that's in powders and um, and bars is, is definitely something you want to stay away from. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I do think, uh, maybe unknowingly, these people, they don't, they don't, they don't know that that's an option. They don't know that they can, they can have a better version of soy. So when they are talking about this, they're only talking about the cheap versions of soy, right? And, and maybe there are studies specifically on like soy protein isolate. Um, and in, in sort of the bodybuilding world, it's laughed upon, right? You would never use something like that over like a whey concentrate right. or something, right? So, uh, that that does make a lot of sense, but I like how you put that. Is you know, it's it's the same thing if you're getting a, a grass-fed, you know, cow steak as opposed to you know uh, a cheap version of that, right? A, a corn-fed 
cow. So that, that does make a lot of sense. I do think, uh, <laughs> funny enough, I've seen people freak out, make videos about soy, just like you're talking about. And like, it, this is more in like the, the sort of the bodybuilding world about like how like soy is like changing our men basically in society. Like, like we're eating too much soy and our men are becoming like feminized because of it. Um, and it's just, it's, it's ridiculous that people are willing to, again, hear about a study, not do their own research and then yeah. have like such a dyed in the wool view where they're willing to like go on camera and, and yell and, and tell people that their lives are being ruined from like something they know absolutely nothing about. But that's just, yeah, and I think, you know, cool. like you, you said, you've like listened to people you trust. And I think when you're vetting people you trust, right, because Men, most people aren't going to open up a 30-page journal, right? Some people don't even have access to those like online journals where you can actually read the research yourself. So um, I think when you're trying to vet people that you trust, look for someone who's not, like who doesn't have um, a dog in the fight, right? Who's not like, if their whole career isn't built around the keto diet. Their whole career isn't built around carnivore, right? Because there's that one guy who's like his whole, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, his whole career is built around carnivore diet and he's, he's wrote, written all these books and it's like, okay, if he finds evidence against that, well then his career crumbles, right? So like people, the people you follow and you are taking, um, you know, advice and recommendations from should be able to pivot, right? Like I used to be vegan, then I was vegetarian, now I'm pescatarian. Like I'm open to different things. I realize nutrition has to be personalized. I think, you know, people who are like willing to die on certain hills um, usually aren't the people you want to trust, right? Because what you're looking for, you will find. You can, there's a lot of, there's a lot of funded research out there. There's a lot of ways you can skew things. And so if someone, um, you know, has an intention to present information in a certain way, um, they're, you know, they're, they're going to be biased. So I think it's nice to like, even with spirulina, I, I've said like, I don't recommend it, but I'm very conservative, right? There's like mixed research out there. And so like, I think you have to really, um, especially with social media, you need to vet who you're listening to and make sure that they don't have uh, a dog in the fight, so to speak, um, with what, what they're presenting to you. Yeah, and especially when it doesn't seem to be that outlandish, right? It's like, oh, we've shown some sort of study at some point has shown that soy has some estrogen connection somewhere, right? So it's like, okay, so if you already make that leap, right, that first leap, and then why wouldn't it be that difficult to make the second leap that this is causing problems, right? So I think that's really the problem is we trust our intuition too much sometimes when it comes to the science and stuff. It's like, oh, well, I, I, the, I, I make this first leap and then I heard this, so this must make sense. It's like, well, you know, back up. It's typically, the, the answer is always more complicated than you think, <laughs> right? Yes. We, we, we're trying to, we try to simplify, this causes this, but it's like, there's so many variables, there's so many things going right. on, and there's so many layers to these things and we don't know exactly what was tested. So let's just take a step back and, and understand that like this, the, the it, all the evidence is not in on anything. And that, that's the best no. thing about science, right? So even when you yeah. think you know something, all the evidence is not in yet. There's still more evidence to come about. And that's why I always hedge my bets and I tell people to hedge their bets because you're gonna look stupid. You're gonna look like a charlatan at some point when you base your whole career around something, you've been telling clients something forever. You know, in the fitness industry, what we have, our equivalent, and I was guilty of it too, Becca, everyone was, is that like we all learned, don't go knees over toes. In the, in the in in our culture in the western culture do you know what i mean by that so sure. when you're yeah when you squat yeah 
you squat or when you lunge, right? When, you, when you're lunging, when you squat, you have to a little bit. Usually it's more like knees over shoelaces when you squat, right? Mm -hmm. We're all built a little bit different anatomically, how our hips build and stuff. So it depends on, on how you're built. And But when, especially when you lunge, they say, you know, really keep your keep good 90 degree angles. Your knees directly above your ankle and then it's equivalent with your hip. We really don't want those knees coming over the toes. And that's not bad advice. But what that does is that starts to limit ankle mobility. That starts to keep mm. your calves a little bit tighter because you're not outstretching the soleus and gastroc. And what they find is long term, that's actually causing a lot of knee issues for people, mm. right? So if you have knee yeah. issues, you don't want to go knee over toes because that'll yeah. hurt you. But if you don't have any issues, is it good to develop this this extra movement pattern, right? I'm able to go a little bit further into this movement pattern and outstretch my gastroc and soleus, which is calf muscles, right? And get more ankle mobility. And they're finding that yes, that is the case, right? There's all these new studies and new research about people who are uh, doing things like walking backwards more and going more knees over toes and doing all these different mm. things that are like preventing knee injuries. And it's like, well, you know, we, we have to be ready for, for for things like this to come out in, in both worlds, in the nutrition world and in the fitness world, that there's going to be new evidence and new studies coming out, and we don't want to be the person who's, like, based our whole career around just saying right. never go these yeah, over and you have to, you can't let your ego get in the way, right? You have to be able to pivot and say, I've learned some new information, I'm changing my view on it. Um, and what you said earlier about there being so many different variables, they're finding now that in nutrition um, research, sometimes it depends on your, like, your gut microbes. Um, you know, the, the health effect of a certain food, right? So you take a, a, a population and some people are really, you know, don't do well with eggs and it can cause all this issue or don't do well with red meat. Okay, well, like, what was their what was their gut population, right? What was their microbiome like? So there's, it, you know, it's more than just the food. It's the environment that you're putting the food into. There's so many different things. Um, so it's, it's got to be personalized. And yeah, I think you need to be willing to, to pivot when you find new information, right? Like, you have to just, you have to take your ego, take your ego out of it and say, I was wrong and I'm, I'm, you know, ready to lean into this. I think it's really age dependent too. I can't speak to nutrition totally except anecdotally, but I can to fitness where certainly in nutrition anecdotally for me, my body has changed over the years. Not only what agrees with me and what doesn't agree with me, but the amount of food. I just don't need the same amount of calories as I get older. Like, even though I weigh more, like I just, I don't need it. Like my body, I can function better off of you know, whatever, three or 400 less calories than I could even five years ago. And I don't know if that's just me or if that's everybody as they age, but, but that's, that's just the truth for me. And I know that, you know, in the, in the fitness world, you, know, you have these people who are 23 years old, they're screaming at people like, this is, this is how you lift. This is how you work out. This is how you get in shape. And it's like, well, you're, you're only talking to your population. Like this is terrible information for a 63 year old to be doing any of yeah. this. Like, this is not good information. Like this, this changes over time, all these these health related things you're supposed to be doing because your body is changing. And as your body is changing, you have to change yeah. all of your habits as well. A hundred percent. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, uh, it has to be personalized and it has to be based on not even just your age, but what's going on in your life. And, um, yeah. Any fitness questions for me, things your clients ask you about things that you've come across you personally. Yeah. You know what I'd like to ask? I, um, I, have seen the effects of cortisol, um, especially in women, right? It can really cause you to retain weight, especially in your midsection. And so um, what I recommend to my clients is if you are feeling stressed, try to avoid really high intense workouts because that can that can raise your, you know, continue to raise your cortisol and that can actually prevent weight loss. And so, um, you know, I, I do recommend 
going for walks, just really low impact thing, going for walks, walking um, on, an inc- on an incline on a treadmill. And I wanted to get your, your feedback on that specifically, like walking on an incline on a treadmill. Is that beneficial? Like, is that doing anything? Is it, you know, kind of worthless? Um, and then, yeah, if you want to weigh in on the cortisol and high intensity exercises, would love, would love to hear your feedback. Yeah, I'll start backwards from the cortisol. There, there's people who are, I would call them cortisol junkies, and they feel like crap in the morning, and they assume that this workout, and, it, and I shouldn't say assume because it does, when they're done with their workout, they feel better, right? They feel, they feel more lucid, their brain is firing better, their endorphins are going, cortisol's up, all the stuff is going. And unfortunately, they're not concerned with all of the other things that are going on in their body, right? Whether it's, okay, I'm doing too, too much high impact, uh, whether it is I'm too reliant upon this to fix my day. So what happens when mm. I can't get my workout in? Am I now am I now just in a, a really, really bad mood? I mean, there are certainly worse habits to have than me saying I need to go on a three-mile run, right? Sure. But, but uh, I think people do need to sit with themselves and say, am, am I working out for the right reasons? Am, am mm. I just doing this because I'm getting this, like, at this absolute high at all times? And is this workout deleterious to my long-term health and wellness? Am, am I doing too much high impact stuff? Because a lot of that comes from the high impact stuff, right? That's not coming yeah. from me sitting down on a machine and doing uh, 12 chest presses. That's for me doing 40 burpees and doing uh, you know insanity workouts. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I, I do I do think that that's something people should be concerned with. They're not as concerned. And of all the health problems that Americans are going through, it is sure. it is it's such a sort of a, a niche minuscule one, but it is one that someone like you who to works, be aware of. Yeah, it's yeah. good to be aware of for who sure. Wor- who works with clients who are trying to get healthier, just to you know you know put a little bug in their ear and say, hey, just you know we 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 should work on maybe having various workouts and not all of them where we're pushing ourselves to the limit. I have friends, guys and girls who just go to like Orange Theory twice a week and they just like bust it. Like they're just burning like 800 calories in 40 minutes and that's all they want to do. And they, yeah. they look like shit, right? They're not like, they're not in great shape. Right. And yeah. I, I, I would gather to say they're not even that healthy, but they, they think they're doing something good just because they're busting it at all levels, yeah. right? But you're not engaging the muscle. You're not feeling certain muscles fire, yeah. right? You're not working on your right. breath work. You're not doing all these other things that come in conjunction with being a healthy exerciser. So I think that's, that is yeah. a good point that you brought up. And as far as walking on a treadmill and incline, I do it all the time. I really like it. Now, you'll see like the bodybuilding community or the people who don't want to burn fat, like that's their thing. Because they're like, oh, hey, I can still get cardio in. I'm walking. I'm getting my heart rate up to, uh, let's say like whatever, like 115 or 120. I'm not getting it up through the roof. And I'm able to burn some calories and walk and do these things, but I'm not running. I'm not doing high impact. The incline specifically makes your legs do more of what I call a pulling motion. Right, hamstrings, bicep femoris. You're as you're walking. If you're walking uphill, you're really pulling your body backwards. Mm, Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. Right. So when you're jogging, let's say you're usually on the ball of your foot, and you're more kind of bouncing, and that's a little bit more quad intensive. But when you're yeah. sprinting or you're going on an incline, it's more of a pulling motion. Right. Think of a horse. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. then you, you get more posterior work, which means your hamstrings and your glutes, your butt muscles are firing more when you're walking on that incline. So that's another reason people are doing it because they're getting Got some it. posterior work. Now, what I will say is you see these people who do it and they hold on to the side of the treadmill. It's like, well, no, no, no. now you're taking like 60% of it away. 
right? Yeah. Because if your hands are holding on, you're putting not only less stress on your legs, but now you don't have to wor worry about keeping your body in alignment so you're not using any core and you're making it just easier overall. So if you're so going to say so do like do an incline where you don't have to hold on, like don't go to 12 and have to hold on, do it at six and don't hold on. Don't hold on. If, yeah. you, if you have to hold on to the treadmill, you're doing it wrong. Right? The, the, those are there. Those handles are there for you for emergencies, not to mm -hmm. aid, not to aid in your workout. So yeah. uh, you know, do it on a five or a six and slow That's the speed slow the speed down as you as you go up right so sometimes you have to inverse relation it where let's say you start at i don't know like three five incline which is not really that high and you yeah. start at like a four four two speed which is pretty high to do that four two walking yeah. the three five incline as you go up an incline maybe i go from three five to four i might have to take that four two speed down to three five right, right? you might have yeah. to sort of do an inverse and you're not really giving up much there you're still challenging yourself from a cardiovascular perspective and from, again, like we said, a posterior chain perspective, those muscles mm -hmm. in the backside are working harder because you're pulling your way up rather than like when you're jogging and you're bouncing using more quad. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. I'm guilty of um, holding on. So now I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to change that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> thank it, you. Yeah, we all do, but it's certainly it's uh, it's, it's not like your, your workouts were not effective, but uh, you're, you're going to get way more out of it by not holding on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Well, uh, this has been fantastic information. Thank you so much for hopping on and talking about this. And I'm sure we'll hop on again to talk about other nutrition-related stuff in the near future, hopefully. But let my listeners and audience know where they can best find you, whether they want to work with you or whether they just want to reach out to you or follow the stuff that you put out and promote. Yeah, absolutely. So my Instagram is Happy Healthy Nutritionist. Um, you can find everything there. There's links to my, to my website and my courses and everything. So, um, yeah, you can check me out there. My guest today has been Rebecca Washuda. Thank you so much for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform. And feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.